my brothers and sisters. There's a church in Milwaukee that I drive by a few times a week, and on their sign, they always have some sort of a Christian cliche saying like, why use Google when Jesus has all the answers, or something like that. And this past week, they had something on their sign, and it was actually really funny. It said, give thanks this season for no more political ads. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I don't know how it was in Illinois, but, but in Wisconsin it was ridiculous. The calls and the texts, and I couldn't even watch a 10-minute a highlight video of the Milwaukee Bucks without getting three, three com- uh, commercials telling me that if I vote for this candidate, America's going to fall apart. Isn't it kind of sad that that's what political campaigning has become? Most commercials don't even tell you what what their candidate's going to do, just that you can't vote for this candidate because they're corrupt or because they don't care about you, the voter. And you know the worst part? They're probably right. I mean, a lot of that is slander, but to be honest, there's probably a lot of truth in what they're saying about that other candidate. Did you ever get that feeling that when you go to the ballot box, you're not voting for the candidate you think is best, just the candidate you think is the least bad? Well, the truth is, flawed government and flawed leaders It's not primarily a modern thing or an American thing. It's a human thing. It's not new. And the people that Jeremiah served, Jeremiah's original audience, uh, was Jerusalem, the capital of Israel, in about 600s BC, so during and after the Babylonian Empire came and completely destroyed the city and took most of its citizens over to Babylon, which is in modern-day Iraq, to put them there in refugee camps so that they don't rebel. And Jeremiah's message to his people in chapter 23 is this. Your kings may be bad right now, but your real king is coming, and he's coming soon. Now, just a little bit more background on the kings that Israel was used to. The Jewish kings in Jerusalem, especially the years before the Babylonians came in and took over, they weren't simply incompetent. They were evil. In their personal lives, they were drunk, gluttonous, greedy monsters. In their public life, they fully endorsed and participated in temple prostitution to worship the goddess Asherah, public orgies to worship the god Baal, communicating with demons that were pretending to be their ancestors for their ancestral worship, and even burning their children alive as sacrifices to the god Molech. That's how bad it got. And their spiritual leaders weren't much better. The priests loved to preach sermons about keeping the Sabbath and getting your sacrifices in and getting your offerings in on time. But when it came to things like loving your neighbor, actually thinking what does it mean to be God's people, do we actually trust God's promises, 
As long as you looked religious on the outside, that's all that mattered. And this bad leadership rubbed off on the people. The people became gluttonous, greedy, idolatrous, spiritually apathetic monsters. God put these shepherds in charge of the sheep, and the shepherds ruined the sheep. And now these sheep, some of them still believers in God, had to sit in the ruins, which used to be their homes, and wonder, where's God? Didn't God see uh, Israel turn so bad? Didn't he see that even worse Babylonians come in and destroy everything and oppress us? Well, where is he? Didn't he see this? And God's answer is this. Yes. He saw everything. And he was even more angry about everything that went on than the actual believers were. And he addresses the leaders and says, Woe to you! You're going to get what's coming to you. I put you in charge to take care of my sheep and you abused my power. You didn't take care of my sheep and now I'm going to take care of you. And that's harsh language. And maybe that's a side of God that you're uncomfortable with, but it's true and we have to talk about it. God is even more angry than you are about all the things in our culture and our government and our society that are wrong. He sees it. He sees all of it. But he also sees you. You see, Jeremiah's words were directed at the leaders, the governmental and spiritual leaders of Israel, but the message applied to everyone. All of them were lost. And the question you have to ask yourself is this. Could Jeremiah's words be applied to me? You may hate the fact that many of the leaders in our country advocate for things like abortion or mistreating immigrants or other human rights violations. But would anyone get the impression from the way that you personally treat people Oh, that you're really not that loving or compassionate either. In other words, do you show the same compassion and mercy in your personal life that you demand from your leaders? You may hate the fact that many leaders in our government advocate for things that go against God's law uh, for marriage and sexuality, both in their lawmaking and in their personal lives. But would anyone get the impression from the way that you talk to or about your spouse or the way that you've conducted yourself, both in public or in private, that maybe you don't take God's plan for marriage that seriously either? And I could go on, but the point is this. The main issue is not the government. It's not the world. It's not society. It's humans. We are part of the problem, all of us. There's never going to be a, a perfect shepherd, a perfect president, a perfect king, a perfect governor, a, a perfect prime minister. There will never be a perfect form of government. Even an elected democracy is capable of doing terrible things. Why? Because humans are sinful. Humans are the problem. And every system that humans make will be sinful and flawed. What we need 
is an altogether different kind of king. A king that is not only perfect, but solves the fundamental problem of human sin. Now, remember, you have to keep in mind the mindset of Jeremiah's original listeners. Their king, Zedekiah, who was a descendant of the original King David, was about to be deposed by the Babylonian army and his kids, his two sons, murdered in front of him. And with that, the promise that God made to David that someone from his line, his descendant, would rule on the throne of Jerusalem forever was literally cut off. And Jeremiah's listeners are likely under the impression that, well, God must have given up on Israel and the whole world. And God has left the entire world to suffer its own oppression and then rotten hell for their sins, and rightly so. He has every right to do so. But God says to them through Jeremiah, no, not even close. Because the stump that used to be David's family tree, out of that would come a shoot, a branch, a king. And this king would rule not only in Jerusalem, but over the entire world. And he will usher in the perfect kingdom, the perfect society, the perfect culture, the perfect place where there is no cheating or lying or or death, all of it gone. The perfect kingdom where things are right, where things make sense. One problem. How can we, as sinful human beings, exist in this kingdom? If we're in this kingdom, it's not going to be perfect for long. We can't be in a righteous kingdom because we are not righteous, perfect, holy, good. That's not us. And sinful humans can't simply be told to be righteous. It just doesn't work that way. In order for us unrighteous people to be accepted into God's righteous kingdom, this king has to do something radical. In order to accept us, he must literally be our righteousness. And what does that mean? Well, this king was born 600 years or so after Jeremiah spoke in a little town called Bethlehem. And this Jesus of Nazareth was a descendant of David, but he was also true God, the perfect king. And this perfect king was crushed for every ounce of God's wrath over every oppression, every sin, every evil, every death, every terrible thing in the entire world. All of it was put on his shoulders. The king was executed like a criminal so that criminals like us could be accepted into his kingdom. The king was treated like a sinner so that sinners could be righteous, could be declared holy and perfect, even though they're not. And because he did that, and because of his cross, 
When he comes back on judgment day and you will stand before his throne, you do not need to have an ounce of fear or guilt for the things that you have done because when God looks at you, he will not see any of your past, any of your flaws. He will see his own righteousness and perfection and innocence and beauty. And he will accept you based on that. That is what is going to happen on the last day. And he will accept you into his arms. He will usher you into the new kingdom, the new heavens and the new earth, a place where everything is made right. You know, we talk about the end times. We're talking about the future. And it's wonderful, wonderful things that, that give us hope. But these truths are also have deeply practical implications for your everyday life. The first one is this. Do not put your hope in a Christian government. As Christians, who are rightly upset about all the bad things that go on in our society, it's tempting for us to think, well, maybe if we get Christian leaders who make Christian laws in the government, we'll have a Christian society and things will get better. That's biblically false. And it's historically false because people have tried this and it doesn't work. Do not put your hope in America or in any nation to be the solution to the problem of human oppression. Only Jesus can usher in the perfect kingdom, the perfect culture, the perfect society, the perfect place to live. And he says, it's not of this world. It's not going to happen until this broken world is destroyed and he makes the new heavens and the new earth. Put your hope in that. Now, don't get me wrong. Is it wrong to to vote for Christians in, in office? Is it wrong to want our nation's laws to reflect God's laws? No, that's not wrong. But don't think that's going to change people. Don't think that's going to make society something that it's not. And think about it. How does the human heart change from a heart that's rebellious towards God to a heart that loves God and wants to serve God? How does that happen? Well, it's not laws. I mean, Israel had God's laws and it didn't work for them. Only God can change the human heart into something good. And he does it through the gospel. The Holy Spirit works through the message of Christ crucified for you, God loving you and accepting you freely and fully. And that's what changes the human heart. And that gospel, God puts into the hands of his church, Christians. He doesn't give it to the government. That's just not their job. And the second point is this. Notice how God works. God used the evil Babylonian empire to, yeah, oppress Israel, but actually what in, by doing that, God called Israel to repentance. It was a spiritual wake-up call, and it showed Israel the severity of their sins. And then, after the Babylonians were taken down, the Persian empire, King Cyrus, who was not a Christian and was probably just as immoral, well, God used him to send his people back into Israel and to set them up as a nation again. You see how God works? 
God works not in spite of flawed government, but through flawed government to bless and protect and give justice to both Christians and non-Christians. You may not particularly like your government officials, either on the local or the state or the national level. You may not particularly agree with their judgments. You may think that someone else is more qualified for the job. But you need to know this. God put them there. And he put them there to be a blessing to you. And your job as citizens of God's eternal kingdom and citizens of this earthly kingdom, is to respect and pray for your government leaders. And the last point is this. You don't need to get all worked up about this election or this politician or that law or that policy or that whatever. Because you know, ultimately, how your story ends. Now, don't get me wrong. Is it okay to be concerned about the things that go around you in the world? Yes, of course. But let peace and joy and hope in something completely new be your default mode. Your story ends, and really your story begins, at the throne of Jesus, your king, who's going to welcome you into his kingdom where all things will be made right. Your king is coming. And he's coming soon. Amen.